What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 plus one football show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today. But as always, the man who to me is like Bayern signing another player who they don't need, but just because they can, it's Billy. And we'll touch on Brian Zaragoza later on. But like Lewis said, a whole host of topics. And we did promise it last week. So we will start with Burnley against Sheffield United, a five-star Burnley performance with some ramifications for Sheffield United and possibly the rest of the league. Then we'll have a look at the duality of Manchester United. Pathetic against Newcastle, but quite entertaining against Chelsea on Wednesday night. Before we move over to the Bundesliga, where we have a look at the referees getting it wrong again, question mark. Leverkusen against Dortmund and Stuttgart v Bremen for that one. And then we'll have a look at Wolfsburg's continuing woes after a loss at the weekend. And of course, we will finish with Brian Zaragoza. But all that and more after this. So you said it. I mean, to be fair, we said it. Burnley, Sheffield United, this is one that all of the relegation teams need to have circled in the calendar because it is a pretty, you know, season-directing result, really. Especially for Burnley, because we we tore into them because, uh, obviously, rock bottom, four points before this game. And company had basically shrugged everything off and said, do you know what? I thought it would be harder, even though he only had four points. But we did say Burnley need to win this game, and they didn't just win this game. They absolutely wiped the floor with Sheffield United. And as you said, ramifications could be a lot more than just a battering and three points for Sheffield United. Well, when you, when you get off to the worst possible start, in games like these, big games for a, a club, you have to start well. Yeah. 13 seconds in your 1-0 down isn't fantastic. Nope. I mean, I don't know what the fastest goal on record is for the Premier League, but that definitely has to be in the top five. I know the Bundesliga, I believe, is 10.2 or 9.8 seconds, something around the 10-second mark, and I think it was Karim Bellarabi against Dortmund. But I don't know what the Premier League one is, but 13 seconds, yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the fastest Premier League goal is uh, it's currently Shane Long. He scored after 7.69 seconds. Right. It was lit straight from kickoff, as was this one as well. But... I mean, yeah, but what, what did Shane Long do? Literally just take the ball at the halfway line and boot it towards goal. No, if I remember it right, I think it was against Watford. I think it was just a horrible defensive mistake. Ew. But well, yeah, like we said, like, <clears throat> like we said in the last episode, whoever lost this one would probably be the first one gone. And it yeah, has for yeah. Paul Heckingbottom. He's been there three and a half years. But I don't think it's so much the the number of defeats because I mean, you know, let's be honest, I don't think they were expected to win many games. I was about to say, I think if you're if you're Sheffield United, you expect to win or you expect to lose a certain amount of games. But it's the manner in which those defeats have happened. The capitulation, you know, you're 2-0 down going into halftime, which isn't uh, unsalvageable. Not terrible, no. But then Ollie McBurney gets sent off for a needless yellow card. I mean, look, I know people say you can't jump without your arms. But if you're flailing it in somebody's face, you can expect a booking, particularly with these referees at the moment. I was about to say that doesn't help. <laughs> so look, let's give Burnley their flowers because yeah. they, they fully deserve them against Sheffield United. We'll completely ignore what happened on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, they lost to Wolves, basically, but it was only a 1-0 loss. So it's not terrible. Yeah, it, it they, they were in it for large parts of that game as well. And yeah, and it wasn't the the nail in the coffin. But you did say this could have ramifications also for the rest of the league because it wasn't just Paul Heckingbottom that, you know, is going to see the axe. It's a lot of other teams that are 
somewhat struggling in November this Premier League season. And some of them are teams that you wouldn't be expecting to see down there. Well, exactly. So every year there's this sort of almost Mexican standoff between a few teams that aren't doing very well. And once the first one pulls the trigger and sacks their manager, it almost sets off a domino effect or the merry-go-round type thing. So Paul Heckenbottom's gone. He's been replaced by Chris Wilder, who was also there when they came up the first time. Yeah. But managers that have won one game since the start of November, Paul Heckenbottom at Sheffield United, Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest, who we'll talk about in a moment, Vincent Company, Burnley, Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace, and uh, the, the mastermind himself, Pep Guardiola. City have only won one game. They've got, I think, three points from the last four games after their loss to Aston Villa last night, which incidentally took Villa above Man City. Uh, that's that's so. insane. I mean, we're not suggesting that the domino effect is going to hit Pep Guardiola and see him get sacked at City because, no, it's just that would never happen. It would, uh, it would, need, it would need a cataclysmic implosion for that to happen. But it is still worth mentioning, as Billy said, three points from the last four games that is quite an insane statistic especially when you think about the fact that Guardiola before the Villa match was like yeah we're winning the Premier League this season like he he literally sat in the press room and was like I, I'm telling you now Man City will win the Premier League like we will we will win it he, like, he, he said it he said it with his chest which is yeah. an old move for any man sat in front of that many cameras yeah but I think I Correct me if I'm wrong, but well, I say correct me if I'm wrong. I'm giving it an opinion, so fuck you. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, no. But seriously, if you if you think about the fact that most managers so media trained and just always giving the same answers, it's refreshing to have someone just come out, for lack of a better word put his junk on the table and say, this is where we're at. I mean, you're not going to sit in a press conference and go, no, I don't think we're going to win it this year. No, you're not going to, but you're going <laughs> to, but you know, you'd say the media trained answer, like, you know, we're going to do our best and you know, it's always, it's getting more and more difficult and, you know, city always have a target on their back and, you know, it'd be answers without giving a straight answer, which we've seen him do so and so often. So I think it's quite nice to just be to hear him say, you know, we're winning the Premier League. Fuck you guys. Um, that's it. I, I I don't know what else there is to say because that's it. Like, come on. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I can't disagree with it. I think it's. Uh, I don't mind it. I don't mm. mind it. But back to the merry-go-round. So last night, Nottingham Forest lost five nil away to Fulham. Oof. And uh, if you if you don't know, if you go into a uh, like a, a VIP or a closed off area of a football ground, you have to wear a lanyard with a, a pass and a picture on it. And uh, someone found, which I think is really funny, someone found uh, Evangelos uh, Marinakis's pass, the forest owner, uh, in a bush outside someone's house just outside Craven Cottage. Like he stormed out before full Oof. time, uh, which isn't great for Steve Cooper, despite the entire away end chanting his name after pretty much every goal went in past the third goal. Uh, he did say he was embarrassed and that he didn't deserve that, which I think speaks to the quality of the man, but I it doesn't know, had change to... the fact that you just took a five nil loss on the chin. And in general, you are one of those managers who has just won one match in November. Um, I don't know. How long do you think Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce, how long do you think Steve Cooper has before he gets the sack? Is this one more match and he's done? Or does he have the slack, especially given what, you know, the fans reaction was? Does he have the slack to maybe, you know, try and get the turnaround, even if it doesn't work right away? So it's not like every match he now goes into, it's a must win. Otherwise, he loses his job. Uh, look, we had this last year where he, he was one game away from the sack or people would have you believe and then he signed the new contract. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think I think he had a never, lot. Never let them know your next move. Well, exactly. I think he had a lot of sort of get out of jail free cards almost mm. from the promotion back to the Premier League and things like that. Whether they're gone in the in the owner's eyes, I don't know. He doesn't seem like the most level headed. Yeah, individual. <laughs> We'll see. Look, I'm, look, last season I thought he was going to go because they bought in something like 30-something 30 30 something players and it looked like 30 blokes that had just met each other trying to play football. Like, you know, you rock up at five-a-side as the spare. Yeah. Like a, mate, <laughs> a mate of a mate has gone, oh, look, we need someone to play. So don't you want to come along? I yeah. don't know any of these people. And now I'm trying to play away at the Etihad against them. Well, I, I mean, if... If Chelsea can do it against multiple teams, and that really is 30 new people who, you know, have never uh, played with each other. Well, oh, we, we will, that, we will you gotta talk love about that, that we just work in a little dig at Chelsea every now and then. I'm sorry, Chelsea fans, but it is too easy when your club is just, I don't know. I'm not sorry. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that thing of, you know, if, if they had a different owner, it would be so much different. But, you know, that's it, not the reality of things these days. It's like a, like a butterfly effect. Vladimir Putin is born and decades later, Chelsea shit. So, <laughs> but before... But to be fair, at the time when Putin was born, Chelsea were also not that great. Yeah, so. okay. it's, it's, it's clutching at straws, that analogy I just wanted to get. Yeah, 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 okay, fair enough. Before well, we talk, sorry, before we talk uh, Chelsea against United, uh, Roy Hodgson is another one who seemingly close to, to being sacked. Uh, someone I work with was at the Palace game yesterday and they're close with the, uh, the journalist Ed Ahrens yeah. uh, who sent him the message. It's awful, mate. Not seen Selhurst so toxic for many years. And this is a, a guy who writes about Crystal Palace. Uh, Palace born and bred and they booed at full time because I mean, that either that speaks to the dire situation they're in which i don't believe is the case i'm sorry one of those football conspiracy theories is that palace never win a game but somehow always manage to avoid relegation or even being close to the relegation scrap well do you want a quote from roy hodgson I would love a quote from Roy Hodgson. From, so, from Roy. From Roy. So, so from Roy. <laughs> and uh, b before we talk about it, he has had a fantastic career. He's, he's in his like late 70s now. Like just retired. I was about to say, is, is he not the oldest manager on record in the Premier League at the minute? It's got to be close to it. But he told yeah. Amazon Prime yesterday, the fans have been spoiled here in recent times. After a two Ooh, that's defeat, never, ooh, that's um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You just know that he completely lost the plot. Oh no, Roy, Roy. So that's Roy Hodgson. Oh no. Which, well, you know, it could start a, a really weird merry-go-round. If if Palace sack Hodgson and Forrest sack Cooper, we could end up with Steve Cooper at, at Crystal Palace. I'm not suggesting Roy Hodgson goes to Nottingham Forest, by the way. But <laughs> I mean it would just be it I mean I think in that situation, if that switch actually happened, it would just show that the teams aren't really looking for a step forward. They just needed a fresh face at the helm to basically right the ship. And I don't know if that's always the best case, um, especially if you just get a manager who is sacked somewhere else. I don't know how much good that's going to do you. But enough on the bottom half of the Premier League. Let's look to, surprisingly, the top half of the Premier League because... Just. Only, exactly, only just. Um, the duality of Manchester United. You said it in the topics. Pathetic versus Newcastle and then battering Chelsea. It's kind of this, oh, we don't know which United we're going to get. Are we going to get prime Moisey United who, let's face it, couldn't string two passes together. Um, are we going to get, you know, SAF's best? Oh, you, you really have no idea what you're going to get. And, I mean, 
just take us through what it's like to have the, as they say in German, the Wundertüte or the wonder package every week, not knowing what you're going to get. It's not good for my heart. Yeah, I was about to say your blood pressure must be going through the roof at this point. Start start off by saying that just to get a caveat. <laughs> exactly. I think look, it's it's it, it sounds like a cop out answer, but as bad as United were against Newcastle, Newcastle were really well organized. They knew what they were doing. Everybody put a shift in. Yeah, which is something that we Can't have seen. Be said for United. <laughs> Exactly, it can't be said for United, but we've seen it from Newcastle since Eddie Howe took over. I think that's the minimum he demands, which again is a weird thing for me to say because that should be the minimum any manager demands, but sometimes we just don't see it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. We'll get onto the Chelsea one in a minute because there was all these stories after that in the, the following days that... I was about to say, the, the, the amount of journalistic, let's just say, not the most wholesome wholesome uh atmosphere that they were that they were working in um united's had a little bit of a field day with some journalists who they are now banning from pressers well they they've only been banned from tuesday's one the pre-chelsea presser still which okay isn't isn't great but basically the story came out that Ten Hag had basically lost fifty percent of the dressing room. That they were questioning. Which is a serious accusation. <laughs> it's a very serious accusation, particularly when you know that normally means that the next Manager's day gone. the manager's gone. Yeah. You know, players were questioning the signings. You know, particularly that of Anthony uh, Valverkos, the Rasmus Hoyland, which I think is a bit of a weird one, given he's top scorer in the Champions League this season. Well, yeah, the but I think the, the the Anthony one is. Um... Anthony, Vitor's even more so. I don't I mean, know. Anthony's that... turned 007 into not just games but months. Well, yeah, okay, I can't defend that. He, <laughs> he has looked, he has looked better recently, but I've seen Rashford walk down that right wing for the past few weeks, past few months. So, uh, your your bar is pretty damn low. Yeah, my bar is pretty low for for my right winger at the moment. But basically, they put this story out, and it's that all that guff that we normally see like oh my sources have told me yeah. insiders tell us uh, and basically united turned around to the four outlets that published it and pushed it and went no you want to come tuesday no so sam luckhurst who is the chief manchester united writer for the manchester evening news was one of them uh carve solico for sky sports news and i'll keep my opinions about him to myself <laughs> Uh, David McDonald from The Mirror and Rob Dawson from ESPN were all banned from Tuesday's game. And needless to say, Sam Luckhurst didn't take it with grace. <laughs> on the chin. <laughs> he didn't take it on the chin. He didn't take it with uh, with maturity. Basically lashed out um, and the MEM put a statement out. And it, it ended with something like, uh, you know, United should look closer to home or something rather than shooting the messenger but i mean if, when you're already on the back foot that is a ballsy statement to be making jeez well they, they did say look we want to we want to forget this and move past it yeah. because i think they know they're in the wrong and i'll tell you why they're in the wrong because normally if a story like this breaks or any particular story where you're talking about insider stuff you contact a, a person or a representative or the you know someone at the club or whoever you're writing about to give them the right to reply. Yeah, it's 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 basically you know at least give them or allow them the honor to or <laughs> at least allow them the opportunity to defend their honor, so to speak. Exactly. Most of the time, you'll get a no comment or a, you know a Manchester United refuse the comment on. Um, baseless rumors or something like that yeah but that's a, that rounds out the story as a whole so it does but a, a no comment is better than not not anything no that's that's exactly what i mean yeah, yeah. and it's not the first time it's happened with united because fergie was not notorious for it but he did do it and there was a clip going around of when he clapped back at neil custis from the sun he published a story yeah, and he didn't he is the sun but he, he published a story he didn't contact anyone 
didn't contact Fergie or anyone. He was like, well, did you ask me that? I was like, well, no, I couldn't get hold of you. He's like, well, you know, fucking try. It's like one more like that from you and you're out. Like he just, he would just take no shit. I'm in, yeah, a good. I mean, I'm in a difficult place with this because I found myself agreeing with Simon Jordan, which people that know Simon Jordan, who's on TalkSport, um, it's a dangerous <laughs> place to find yourself at 26 years of age, agreeing with a man like Simon Jordan <laughs> and things. It's dangerously close to agreeing with Piers Morgan on things. Ooh. But he, he was right. You know, you can't just publish what you like when you like it without giving someone a right to say well no hang on and i i say that because clearly last night oh yeah that looked like half of the team really didn't want to play last night <laughs> you know that looked like that looked like all the players that that hated the manager supposedly didn't put a shift in i, oh, I can name i can name 11 players that didn't play well last night he says, tug-in-cheek. I mean, scenes when it comes out that that was all done by someone higher up in the club just to provoke a reaction and see if that would lead to United battering Chelsea. Um, <laughs> you never know these days. Ibrahimovic said that the Qatar World Cup was destined to be Messi's tournament because that was the only way that the Qatar World Cup would be remembered fondly which i'm just gonna leave that there i'm not gonna comment all too much on that but speaking of dressing room and you know united's problems in general how much really lie with the manager at this point because you know i think we've said time and time again you know eric ten Hag has the right idea but he might just you know be missing the delivery a little bit but, you know, the Krupa players have shown they can do it. You know, if, if they can batter Chelsea, they should be able to grind out results against other teams. How much of United's problems are really with the manager, if there are any with the manager at this point? There probably are some with the manager. I, I think look, he, he did drop Rashford yesterday and Martial after the game against Newcastle for... Anthony and Hoyland and that's because the last few matches they've started they've played better you know I think that's how football works it's not a oh he hates Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial it's well they're not playing very well so they'll make exactly. the impact off the subs bench I think a large part doesn't lie with the manager I'm not going to sit here and say he's blameless because some of the substitution times are a bit weird you know you think the the newcastle game particularly the get the subs he made on 60 minutes could so easily have been made at half time yeah yeah but i think when you've got players out there who have been worked all week and they don't put a shift in that's the thing i go back to eddie howe's newcastle there's a video of livramento running past Rashford and he just gives up he just stops okay you are quick enough to get back I give a foul away, I don't care it's like the um the game against Galatasaray okay there were needless fouls to give away from Fernandez but he tracked back and he got back yeah yeah the less we talk about the goalkeepers part in that the, <laughs> the, the better, I, was, I was about to say we're moving into dangerous waters here but there was a story that came out um, where Nemanja Matic, who played for incidentally both clubs, uh, both Manchester United and Chelsea, gave a harrowing insight into the culture at Manchester United while he was a player there. You really can't describe it as anything else because he was elected to be the president of the Players Supervisory Board, I believe it was called. And it was basically a board of players that made sure to enforce disciplinary repercussions, if you will. And Matic said that it was sad that it was even needed in the first place. But if you had to hazard a guess about how much money was collected in fines, what would you ballpark it as? 
Well, that's the thing, because you see those football club finalists go up and it's, you know, uh, uh, don't clean your boots or you know, forget your boots at training or something. It's like something stupid, like a grand, which to us is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but to them, it's it's nothing. Yeah. So I don't know, Manchester yeah. United, they pay a lot of players a lot more money than they should do. I don't know, 50,000 pounds? Weren't too far off. Tack on another 25. 75 grand in late fees. Well, it's not just in late fees. It's in a few other things, but mostly, you know, yeah. Think about it. Disciplinary, disciplinary things, you know, getting fined for stuff like that. That includes fines like talking back to the manager or something or um or getting a yellow card for for diving or getting a yellow for talking back to the ref too much it's just if you're racking up 75k in in fines from the club itself this isn't the premier league who have enforced this this is the club itself the only sad thing is i think uh he shouldn't have gone out and said what they were going to spend it on because they said they were going to spend it on some lavish party in london and then covid hit if you're racking up 75 grand in fines and then you spend it on a party, I think it sends the wrong message. Just maybe. Um, maybe, but it's money It's money they would have. You'd like to think they would do something nice for the staff, but... Staff? At least the staff, if not just donate it to charity right away. I don't know. Maybe what? maybe that's the... Uh, I don't know. The, the would, hope, would that the be too philanthropic? <laughs> it would be. It would be. For footballers, 100%. But there were two players that Matic said stood out during his time at United, especially when it came to coming late to training. Oh, great. Would you like to hazard a guess at who those two were? Oh, was, was one of them the man who was late at his previous club as well? Was one of them Jaden Sancho by any chance? Of course he was. Of the man who it was can't Jayden make Sancho. up. He, uh, January cannot come soon enough because he's not going to get reintegrated, is he? Because neither of them are going to back down. I, th I think this is lit this has got to be one of the worst things that I've ever seen happen to a player that talented, especially with his price tag. I mean, his price tag probably didn't help his help the pressure situation, but then again, there's so many players who can deal who have shown that they could deal with it, or that at least they try. But he just seems to have checked out mentally since August. Well, I mean, if not earlier. I mean, the I don't know. It's just a, a level of disrespect, I think, that the manager doesn't deserve, particularly when he gave him three months off to get himself mentally ready to come back. Exactly. You know? Very few managers will, will give a, a player three months away. To get their then, head right, yeah. And then, you know, when he says, oh, he's not he's not in the squad because he wasn't training well enough. Which I think is a fair criticism. Yeah. To put a statement on Twitter and just go, I've been made a scapegoat. It's such an immature thing. And uh, he won't have a renaissance at United similar to that of Harry Maguire's. Incidentally, November's Player of the Month. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, before we move on to the Bundesliga, just put me out of my misery and tell me who the other latecomer is. Oh, you, you might have already guessed it, but it is. Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba? No. Say it isn't so. <laughs> Dabbing his way into Carrington 20 minutes late. I mean, for the... I don't know if you... Have you seen the 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 Pogmentary, as it's called? Um, I got half an hour in and turned it off out of rage because it just made me angry. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that documentary does a very, very good job of kind of putting him in the victim role, so to speak. And there are definitely things where I agree, where I think he's definitely been treated unfairly, um, you know, by the public eye, so to speak. But all of that loses a little bit more than a tad bit of credibility when you are then labeled as one of the main latecomers to training. And Magic went on to say, you know, it's it's just a desperate, it's a level of disrespect against, you know, the whole team. It's disrespectful to the manager, without a shadow of a doubt. And they couldn't seem to curb the problem either. 
And I mean, it, it's not surprising if at the end of the day, you see how Sancho's dug in his heels. Where was he uh, a couple of nights ago? He was at some release party for, um, I believe it was a musician or a, or oh, no, designer. It was, it was, I think it was 21 Savage's birthday. Uh, no, it was 21 Savage's release party. Uh, um, but yeah, he was, in, he was in London for that instead of at Carrington trying to get back in the team. And, you know, like you said, it's probably not going to happen. Um, it's a little bit depressing when Harry Maguire reaching your player of the month award is one of the better things to have come out of November. But I think we've spent enough time on the Premier League and it's time to move over to the refereeing in the Bundesliga. Well, you said it. Referees are at it again over in Germany. And we'll start with Leverkusen against Dortmund. A lovely one all. Leverkusen still unbeaten in the league. Dortmund went one up, didn't they? But two incidents where VAR probably could have intervened. Now, you've sent me this. The foul on Karim Adeyemi. Yeah. And... Penalty, yes or no? Just straight up answer. No, he should be booked for diving. Oof! It's not a penalty at all. It's not a penalty at all. Put it this way. I definitely understand why it would have been a soft penalty to give. On the other hand, he puts the ball between two guys, and I think it was Kusunu. He puts his leg out, which is really stupid as a defender. In that situation, it is one of those things where I would say it would be a soft penalty to give, but Leverkusen could not argue all that much because their defender was that stupid in the way he put his body in the way. Would you agree with that or would you still say it doesn't matter how stupid he was, it should never be a penalty and game over? I don't think those should be penalties anyway. Uh, yeah, okay, he puts his leg out, which is inviting it. Yeah. But then Adiemi sort of goes over before contact is made yeah i think is, it was too theatrical in my in my opinion which is why i can understand why the referee didn't give it and why var went no you're right well i mean Idin tezic went off in the post-match presser he and balak really got into it uh in front of the zone cameras and had a full-on uh discussion because balak had said in because he was the uh, he was the expert uh, and co-commentator. He had said in match that's not a penalty. And the first thing that the zone uh, presenter does is like, so Edin Tezic, you know that foul on Kalim Adiemi? Our expert here said never a penalty. What do you say to that? Oh, you bastard! <laughs> and he dropped him right in it. He literally just threw a grenade and then ran. Like <laughs> you absolutely begging it, even <laughs> absolutely just begging for it. But I mean, it was pretty entertaining as a neutral fan. I mean, probably as a Dortmund fan, I would have had similar fits of rage because Idin Tezic didn't just get into that penalty. He also got into the fact that um, Palacios. And this, for me, is a more clear-cut thing. Because Palacios was on a yellow already, at the halfway line, pulls Niklas Füllkrug down, and for lack of a better word, that's about as yellow as a foul will ever get. It's just a clear tactical foul. All you know that you're doing is you're going for the player because you know he's. Uh, it's, it would give them a tactical advantage. It should be a yellow. Referee waved to play on because of advantage. The advantage then didn't materialize. In my opinion, a booking after the fact is a little bit of a difficult one for the referee because if he books him after the fact and gives him a yellow-red, how many times have you seen a yellow-red given after? You know, coming back to the original foul, so to speak. Yeah, a, a couple times. I think the the one that springs to mind is that fantastic double yellow Gabriel Martinelli got against Wolves, nah. where he fouled somebody. 
Michael Oliver played play on. He then sprinted down the other end of the pitch, went through the back of somebody, and Michael Oliver gave his back. He went, right, that's one yellow card for that one up there, and that's another yellow card for that one there, and you're off. Literally, it was like two yellow cards in the space of like three seconds. So yeah. you would have given it? Yeah. It should have been, Liverpool wasn't down to 10 men. That's it. <sighs> Yeah, maybe it's one of those ones in retrospect. You'd think, yeah, okay, I would have given that. Which you think the pro the referee probably would go, yeah, okay, I will. I should have given that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. How many times do we see a player already on a yellow do a, a cynical foul and it's not punished? You know, how many times have we sat there and gone, you know, sat there and watched the match and gone, well, you know, you've just booked X player for the softest tackle in the world, and yet he's gone through the back of his man, and he's on a yellow already, and you've not sent him off. It's like, you know, who was it in the Man City Arsenal game? Kovacic. Kovacic. Case in point, Matteo yeah. Kovacic. So it's ridiculous. The state of refereeing at the moment is in the sea. <laughs> But I have to say, going back to the Adiemi one, VAR doesn't even tell the referee, maybe just have another look at that. And that, I think, leaves it open to interpretation how or what counts these days as a clear misinterpretation of the rule book. Because that's the premise for VAR getting involved, is the referee missed a call. It's a clear call that he's missed. He definitely needs to have a look at that scene again. The interpretation there, it's the it, it's the question of um, do you then change the rules for VAR and basically say that even if it's like a 50-50 decision, VAR still says, you know what, ref, have a look at it. We think it's a 50-50 decision. Maybe take some time at least to look at it. Football purists will then say, that VAR will be giving the game so many stoppages that you're going to have to play like 15 minutes extra or 20 minutes extra. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm with that. I think it, that the, the letter of the law is clear and obvious. I'd argue a 50-50 isn't clear and obvious. Yeah. I think if a referee has missed a complete, you know, knee-high studs up or something or a two footer or something like that because the, of a, a fast paced match the ball's gone and he's looking somewhere else fair fair enough fine but a 50 a 50 50 oh, sorry, it could it could go either way or it could be this it could be that i don't think should be it's like when they say you'll hear pundits or cocoms or something like that say oh i think it's it's a soft one but you can see why I don't think they can complain, but they got it's like, well, it's a soft one, or it's not, you know, it is or it isn't. You know, there's no orange card, let's say. Yeah. Give it a well, few I mean, years and there, there fucking will be, but I was about to say there were the, the, the discussion about a sin bin. I don't want to get into that discussion. <laughs> absolutely fucking pointless. Well, should we move on then to Stuttgart versus Bremen? Because there was an there was arguably an immediate cause and effect when Fürich had to be taken off the pitch to get treatment and he was waved back on. He was waved back on right before a goal kick by Bremen. Now, Stuttgart's new kit, or it was a it was a special kit. What's that, that black and white you, one? Yeah, I don't know oh, if you've seen it. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes. Well, please. first of all, Stuttgart fans rolled out a banner and said, what is this black and white shit? It's the worst kit we've seen. <laughs> and if they don't want it, I'll have one. I was about to say, we know, Bill, you, you definitely have a love for the shit kits. You would go, you would go for a 90s goalkeeper shirt. You know you would. I want a, I want a uh, Luis Campos. Oh, that oh that one was with vile. the wings, with the oh. wings, Luis. Oh, it was vile. Um, 
anyways, that kit doesn't really scream neon yellow in terms of visibility, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Fürich is waved on right before Pavlenka takes the kick. He doesn't see Fürich. Fürich comes on and basically sprints on and immediately takes the goal kick off him. Then the ensuing ruckus ends up with a penalty for Stuttgart and the Bremen players are running over to the referee and saying, how have you let him on right before we take a goal kick? That makes no sense to me. Can you understand the Bremen players or not? Yeah, I'd have punched the referee in the face. I thought, I don't know whether this is just the Premier League or not, but if you've received treatment, you have to stay off for 30 seconds. That's the new rule. In the Premier League, it is. Anyway, I, I assume it's IFAB, so I assume it's everywhere. So either, either the referee's not done his job. Yeah, but even if he had been left off for 30 seconds, I'd say the timing of letting a player come on right before a goal kick. Oh, no, yeah, you let the goal kick be taken and then you, you wave them back on. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely more that's absolutely ridiculous. It the, doesn't help that Girasi then dinked his penalty in in Panenka style to add insult to injury. Oh, every uh, every couple of days there's a new thing about Manchester United wanting Sarah Girasi, and my heart soars for that man. Especially when you look at his uh, release clause. Uh it. Pennies on the dollar is all I'm saying. 14 million pounds. <laughs> but we won't it. talk about transfers because it probably won't happen. Or if it does, we'll ruin him. Um, <laughs> AKA Rasmus Hoylund. How dare you? <laughs> Give the kids some time at least. Oh, yeah. I think no, I, I would be fuming. I'd rightly be really angry. Um, it would be interesting to see if that referee gets a game this weekend. Um, well, although, we'll to, well, that that'll be the first thing we discuss then on the next episode is if and only if that referee gets another game. Uh, you are sort of running out of referees in Germany because the good doctor. Yeah, yeah, the good doctor has uh, ruptured his ACL. That's insane. I mean, if if FIFA don't take a look at the amount of games now when referees are rupturing ACLs let alone the amount of ACL injuries that you've seen to players. But I'm, we've we've already been through this whole injury debate. Um, at the moment we had that debate, it was 196 injuries. That's probably, def I'd say probably, almost definitely cracked the 200 on that one. But someone who has some woes this season and are definitely behind expectations is VfL Wolfsburg. Now, Niko Kovac's manager, everyone said last season he had righted the ship and he was on a good path, so to speak. 3-1 loss to Bochum. And that's not their first loss this season. Because no. there have been another six. See... Wolfsburg are a weird one because I don't follow them that closely. But yet every time I see them or I see a score pop up, it's, you know, uh, Jonas Wind has, has scored again or, exactly, exactly. or Omar Marmouche has, has got another goal, you know. Or... It didn't start that bad. That's the thing. Exactly. It started very well and you're allowed to lose to Leverkusen. Even Dortmund, I think, is, is an acceptable one. I was about to say, there were very close games as well. It wasn't like Leverkusen and Dortmund battered them. It was a 2-1 win to Leverkusen and a 1-0 win to Dortmund. It wasn't, you know, 4-0. Like it was in Gladbach. Yeah, I mean, Jonas Wind has nine goals this season, which is pretty good. It's, um, again, look, we talk about the duality of a football team. If you can beat RB Leipzig 2-1, but you can also lose 4-0 to Gladbach, 3-1 to Hoffenheim, 3-2 to Augsburg. I think that's the worst one because I think, to be fair, we probably should take Stuttgart, the 3-1 loss to Stuttgart out of there because Stuttgart this season have just shown that they're not 
you know, a one hit wonder. They are performing match for match. Um, I think you can take that loss and add it more to the column Leverkusen Dortmund. You're allowed to lose to them, but yeah, I think Bochum is the worst one because Bochum this season have been struggling and they were almost always going to be part of that relegation scrap. And a three-one loss to them hurts. It does. I, I don't know. I think it's, it's an interesting one. I, how long does Nico Kovac? get i i don't know look they're they're 11th at the moment which isn't fantastic when they've more than likely got aspirations of european football they have done since they were second in the bundesliga um in mid 2010s yeah i think they'd like to probably be where hoffenheim are which is yeah. sick. you know it's, yeah. it's a european conference league place but it's still european football and you know Two points clear of Frankfurt in sixth and five behind Dortmund, who we know are a bit stop-start. So Hoffenheim are enjoying the the sort of season that Wolfsburg sort of almost not believe that they, yeah. they deserve, but feel they should have with the players they've got. And Yeah, exactly. I don't want to say the manager because I feel Wolfsburg are quite trigger-happy with their manager changes. Yeah, they've had a solid amount of manager turnover. Um, also, who are you going to get in at this point? I know the options are a little bit more for Wolfsburg because they're not a top Bundesliga side. Oh boy, who have you got? I will slam my hand down on the table. Felix Magat <laughs> as an interim coach. Jesus Christ. Bring him back. Just because he says what he thinks. I don't know. I think he he's already been there. He's more of a awful at Fulham. Awful at Fulham. I know, but he's still the fireman of the Bundesliga. Should we finish off with Bayern signing Brian Saragossa? Because I'm just going to sit here and ask why. Oh, oh! I have a stat. I have a stat. Oh, lovely. Really, Slept for stats moment incoming. I was, on I was really proud when I found oh, this. I was really sport. happy. 50 plus one sports. Sorry. Ooh. Jesus. <laughs> oh, Shocking. No. I was very proud when I found this. Yes. Uh, so Brian Zaragoza is one meter, 64 centimeters, or five foot four inches, if you, you know, tiny. if you talk properly. Uh, it will make him the God. shortest player in the Bundesliga and the shortest ever to play for Bayern Munich. So he's not going to be one of the ones that gets on the end of a whipped cross from the other winger. But you say that. <laughs> you say that. We have seen stranger things happen. One yep. thing I will say, you are sat there going, why? A lot of buzz from people that watch Spanish football is this is quite a good move because RB Leipzig wanted him. Uh, they, they offered 14 million. To, for him to join in January, but he wanted to stay and help the club. Yeah, because Granada are not exactly, um, I think some people have very quickly mis, uh, misidentified his current club as uh, Girona, who are currently fighting for the league title. Mm. Granada, kind of the opposite end of the table. Exactly. But Bayern offered a million more Wait. with the caveat of, yeah, it's fine. He can stay on loan till, till June. So basically, they, they get the money in and they still have their player. Uh, I've, I've spoken to somebody who watches Spanish football. Very direct. Very confident. Oh, he loves a 1v1, doesn't he? Loves a 1v1. Uh, and... Just read what they've said. So he's not an academy graduate. He came directly from a grassroots club in Malaga. And that rawness can be seen on the pitch. He's very brave and confident on the ball and takes on players regularly. So you're basically getting some sort of like street baller. Which I'd almost argue we need more of just in general in football. Too many footballers are, you know, these lab-made gym experiments that are trained to perfection. And they don't 
have enough of that creativity anymore. I think a lot of that creativity is uh, left. And so if you if you have one of those players who just loves to run around with the ball and skill his way through players, all power to him. Five-year deal till 2029. The big question, though, for me is why Bayern are signing him. Yes, he's a great player, but when you have players who can play across the front three, and I'm talking left mid, center attacking mid, or or right mid, and you've got Sané, Gnabry, Kuman, Muziala, Tell, Müller, even Eric Maxim Chupomuting to a certain extent, if you need to rotate. Those are seven very good players, three of which, or I'd argue five of which, are still world class. That's all well and good, but possibly looking towards the future and potentially one of those leaving because Chupomoting won't be around forever. Yeah, and Uziala and Muller to, to shore well, up the center attacking mid position. Again, Muller will probably only get a one year extension and then he will retire, probably. Yeah, I mean, he well, he said he wants to stay at least till 2025 and then see how his situation is. So, so that's that's on the horizon. There's always talk about Leroy Sane and Serge Gnabry being wanted by other teams. It doesn't necessarily mean they want to leave. Same yeah. with King C. Coman. Yeah. You know, there's always talk about them being linked with other players. So I think it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. And for 15 million, you can't really go wrong. You'll get more than that in sell-on value just because he's played for Bayern Munich. You'll, You're not if, wrong. If but... it doesn't work out, you'll sell him in two years' time to Real Sociedad for 25. But if you're on about centre mids and defensive midfielders, I think you, if you wanted a Spanish player, just go for Zubamendi. Yeah. From Sociedad. But look, I'm not suggesting Bayern don't know what they're doing. Um, but it is baffling that they're leaving themselves so thin with midfield options. You know, they sold Martel Sabitzer to Dortmund. Yeah, okay, they got Limer in, but they are still quite thin on the ground. Yeah, and I mean, even more so at the center, uh, at the center back position, if you look at it. Exactly. So, but January's on the horizon, and they've already said they're going to be making some serious moves in January. So, I mean, I don't know how many serious moves you can really make in January, but that is who, who realistically <laughs> who realistically moves in January? Players that want out and players a club doesn't want. Yeah. So you're going to be picking up people's scraps in January. Which there are too much money. There are some good deals to be done. I, you know, I, I was about to say, you as a United fan should be definitely gushing about, you know, a certain okay. Bruno Fernandez. Who you Bruno guys Fernandez, got. Juan Mata, Nemanja Vidic, you know, all January signings. So there you go. That they are there to be had, but I think that's probably a good place to leave it for this week. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.